0: Today, I'm going to continue in a series of messages uh, that, that we started uh, last Sunday. I, I have to tell you, there are times when, I, um, when I'm, I'm, I'm just thinking about and praying and preparing for a series. And after I, I preach a sermon on Sunday, usually it takes me about a day or two to get over it because I'm, I'm just mulling it over in my mind. But literally, I had to hold myself back last week after my family and I left, went to lunch, because I wanted to start talking about today. I wanted to start talking about the things that we're going to talk about today. As as we think about our lives, as we think about the things that happen in our lives, one of the things that we all have in common are seasons of identity crisis. We talked... Uh, last week, we kind of introduced the idea of an identity crisis. And, uh, an identity crisis is those places and spaces where you get to where things are just turned upside down. And early in early studies in psychology, they thought this was just an issue of adolescence. But as, as sort of research went on and on and on about identity crisis, they found out that, that people face identity crisis during different phases and seasons of their lives. So it's, that it's kind of a natural uh, thing that we all go through, and different things trigger those identity crises. Um, in December, in early December, I received an email uh, that kind of began to send me into a, a bit of an emotional spiral. Now, before you uh, think too little of me, I just want to explain it to you, okay? So many years ago, I had a friend who told me, "Hey, Randy, if uh, if you're if you're going to travel a lot in your life," one of the things that you need to do is you need to choose an airline and you need to always fly that airline. And I said, Hey, you know why? Cause I'm kind of the person I'm always looking for the best deal and you know, all that. And so he's like, okay, yeah, I understand that. But in the long run, if you will choose an airline and you'll stay with that airline, eventually you will earn something that is called status. And once you get that status, All of a sudden now your tickets become cheaper, and even better than your tickets becoming cheaper, all of a sudden now you start to get treated differently when you have these flying experiences. There are these these secret clubs in the airports that you will get access to. And you don't have to be like the mass cattle who are just kind of gathering in the halls. You get to go into these secret rooms. And in these secret rooms, there's nice food. And there's a quiet place to sit. And there's nothing better than being able to go into these clubs. Any of you know the clubs that I'm talking about? I didn't know about this stuff. But once I learned about this stuff, it changed my life forever. I'm just going to be honest with you. And so from that time forward, like my friend said, I made it. Sort of my mission That if at all possible I was going to always fly The same airline Because I wanted to earn my points Because if I got my points Then I got my status And if I got my status Then I got my perks And traveling with perks is nice It's nice (laughs) In December I got an email From my preferred airline uh, That said They were changing the rules of their loyalty program, and even though I had worked really, really hard last year to remain loyal to them, and sometimes I chose flights that weren't necessarily the best route for me, but because I was loyal, I stayed with them because what I was really doing was working for my status. In spite of all that, February 1, 2023, they're changing the rules of their status program, and all of a sudden, my status isn't going to mean what my status meant anymore. And now, my access to the secret clubs is cut off. (laughs) Now, all of a sudden, the perks that I had in my status didn't matter as much anymore. And I'm just going to tell you, all of a sudden, I started having to have an identity crisis again. Wait a minute. Do I have to go live like everybody else now? Do I have to go wait like everybody else? Do I not get access to the really nice food? And just that that simple thing in my life made me question everything. Who is this Delta Airlines anyways? (laughs) Who do they think they are? Don't they know who I am? I am medallion status. They don't care anymore, I guess. So now when I'm choosing my tickets for this year, all of a sudden I'm rethinking my relationships. I'm rethinking my loyalties. I'm rethinking how I'm going to travel and what it's going to look like for me to travel. Because all of a sudden, the perks aren't there. The status isn't there. My identity looks different. And traveling for me looks a little bit different in 2023 than it looked in 2022. We all have things in our life and they could be simple Silly things like that, that cause us to have to take a look and say, you know what? Am I getting treated the way that I think I should get treated? Do I see myself the way that I I think I should really be? Are other people looking at me as I am? Or are they looking at me and do they have other expectations of me? Have they moved the goalpost like you, hashtag Delta Airlines? Well, all of a sudden now I've got to be something else and do something else and behave a certain way and are you are you tracking with me today? Have you ever came to moments in your life when the goalposts got moved? Seasons in your life where things begin to change, people begin to treat you different, look at you differently, and it caused you to begin to look at yourself differently, relate to your spouse differently, your boss, your children. Well, friend, here's the thing, we all deal with identity issues and, and we've been taking a look at the book of Romans this month through the lens of our identity, through the lens of what does it mean about us to be followers of Jesus Christ? What does it say about us in relation to God? What does it say about us in relation to others? You see, identity, we talked about this last week, identity is a set of characteristics such as qualities, beliefs, personality traits, appearance, and other unique expressions that define how a person views themselves in relation to the world. And it can be little things or big things that trigger these seasons and moments in our life where we start to look at our identity and say, is my identity what I always thought it was? Everyone faces seasons of seeking clarity in their life about their place in this world and no matter what stage or season you are in life some of you are in early teenage years and your things are things are happening in your life and you're looking and you're saying what do I think what do I believe who am I how do my friends relate to me some of you are in in middle seasons of your life and things have shift and change and you've reached some goals and and you've reached those goals and when you've gotten to those goals all of your expectations weren't necessarily met in reaching those goals. And now you're looking around and saying, did I, all this work that I put in, was it really worth it? Is this really who I want to be? Some of you are at later seasons of your life and you've, you've run the race for a long time. And you've got perspective and you have the capacity to, to really see what has had value and not have value in your life. And some of you are, are in, that, in that latter season of your life and you're wondering, man, was this what i always intended well when my world is not aligning with my desired sense of self it produces insecurity in me and last sunday this is where this is where we ended our conversation was really talking about talking about the the implications of insecurity and how Uh, how identity crisis produces insecurity in us and how when our identity isn't settled or when our identity is disrupted it can cause us to feel insecurity and there are all kinds of implications of insecurity in our life we we explored or we talked about it a little bit last week people who are insecure remember you gave some audience feedback sometimes when people are insecure they can get really really loud and they can be really really forceful and obnoxious on the other end of the spectrum sometimes when people are insecure they become quiet or reserved or protective or defensive so insecurity can manifest itself in different extremes in our life and all of us depending on our personality type or depending on our experiences all of us set somewhere on that spectrum of expressing insecurity in our lives the question is whether not whether or not we feel insecurity the question is how that insecurity is going to manifest itself well i believe that the book of romans has a lot to speak to us about settling the issues of insecurity in our lives i think as you really dig into romans as you really understand romans and you understand the message that paul is is speaking to us that we become settled in our identity with christ it starts to resolve it starts to resolve some of those demonstrations of insecurity in my life. Insecurity has a way of manifesting itself as hypercritical or destructive, destructive uh, destructively anxious behavior patterns. Think about it for a moment in that extreme examples that we, that we used last week. Often as, as some people, as they, as they experience insecurity, what, what it looks like for them is that they become either hypercritical of themselves or they become hypercritical of others. You ever met someone like that? They see the negative in everything. They see the problem in everything. They, see the, they, see, they walk into a room instead of being able to celebrate the good in the room, they see the things that are going wrong in the room right insecurity has a way or they turn that inward they either turn it outward or they turn it inward they walk into a room and instead of being able to embrace the goodness of the room being able to celebrate what's happening in the room or being able to receive how they are celebrated in the room they walk when you're when you're insecure you walk into the room and you you see all of your problems you see how you don't fit you see you you invent in your mind that other people don't like you or other people don't appreciate you or other people are you with me? Is this just too close to where we live? Is this too uncomfortable? You look uncomfortable this morning. <laughs> on, the other, on the other end of that, so there's this sense in which I'm critical either of others and everything around me or I'm critical of myself or the other again the other end of that spectrum is i walk into a room and i can't i can't enjoy the room i can't celebrate the room i can't receive from the room because i'm i'm so i'm so anxious i'm overwhelmed by anxiety and so therefore i can't risk therefore i can't be settled therefore i can't experience peace well i believe that as we've studied romans paul is speaking to this i want to dive into romans chapter 5 verse 1 through 5 but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts and through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Here's one of the things I understand about insecurity and as insecurity has worked itself out in my life, Insecurity is always connected to shame. Let me say that again. Insecurity is always connected to shame. What do you mean, Pastor? Well, it's as I was just talking about. When I am insecure, because I am living in a state of shame, I walk into a room and because I am viewing the world through the lens of shame, I'm, I'm being hypercritical of everything that is happening. I see shameful things. I see what is wrong. That's the lens through which I view the world. If I'm living in shame, if I'm in a state of shame, my view of the world is through what is wrong. Are you with me? That looks like and sounds like being hypercritical, either outwardly toward others or toward myself. And those of us who are really tortured are both of those things at the same time. When shame is really wreaking havoc in your life, it's that way at the same time. Shame towards others, shame toward myself. What is wrong? Always what is wrong. Never resting in what is Right, what shame also does is shame always keeps me at a place of feeling like I am in the wrong, therefore insecure, therefore not safe, therefore anxious. When I'm in a place of shame, I am in a place of being anxious. My wife said this some time ago and I just thought it was unbelievably brilliant. Some of us, some of us have gotten to a place where we've become so comfortable with being anxious that we've just embraced it as an identity. And here's, here's what Desiree said that I thought was absolutely profound. Some of us have come to a place where we mistake conviction. We mistake conviction for anxiety. Some of us think that conviction Is anxiety because our world has normalized anxiety. Our world has normalized anxiety as a state of being, as an identity. And because our world has normalized identity as a state of being, we've come to expect it and to accept it as who we are. And so when the Holy Spirit is at work in our life, trying to create holy conviction to bring about transformation in the image of Christ, we are unwilling to engage in the work that conviction does in our life. Instead, we just do everything we can to numb. That anxiety because we have just thought anxiety is a state of being. Anxiety is is not intended to be a state of being. Anxiety is a state of exhibiting, living in, identifying with, becoming the output of shame. And what Paul says is, listen, here's the thing. For those who are following Christ, get this, I love what he said. He said, for those who are following Christ, we have been justified now i know for some of you who have been around north place for a while uh when i started up this series and i said okay we're gonna study the book of romans some of you looked at me like come on dude we study the book of romans all the time i know this stuff those of you who were a part of the bible study before we ever started north place church what was the first book of the bible we studied It's the book of Romans. I have a habit of coming back to the book of Romans. I know that. But here's why I do it. Because I think we read the book of Romans and we read past some of this stuff and we think, oh, I know what that means. And what Paul is saying to us in the book of Romans is if you really knew what this meant, it would change your world. In fact, what Paul is saying in the book of Romans is if you really understood what this meant, it would help you you to be fruitful in your world that is chaotic. When Paul says, in Christ Jesus, in Christ Jesus, we have been justified, do we really understand what that means? As followers of Jesus Christ, our status is secured through faith and demonstrated through poise. Have you ever met a person who had poise? They just had a, they just had a sense about them when they walked into a room. Okay, let's go back because some of you are. Any of you remember being the insecure 13-year-old? I apologize to any 13-year-olds in the room. I'm sure you're doing well. (laughs) The rest of us, we were train wrecks when we were 13. Do you remember what it was like to walk into the room when you were 13 and feel like, holy cow, everyone is looking at me? Anybody? And there was always that dude Or that girl, you were the awkward 13-year-old, not like any of the 13-year-olds in here, but like the rest of us. You walked into the room, you felt so awkward, you felt so out of place. You either behaved really obnoxious and trying to draw attention to yourself and pointing out what was wrong with other people, or you kind of hid in the corner. But there was always that dude or that girl who when they walked into the room, for whatever reason, you felt awkward and weird and gangly, but they walked in the room and they just kind of owned the space. Right? <laughs> she just kind of flowed through the room. Her hair was always blowing in the wind. Right, he had no blemishes going on. He just seemed to, like he, his muscles were huge. He, and he always wore a tank top. You're, like, wearing the baggiest T-shirt you can, but he's, like, Mr. Muscly Guy, and you're, like, and he had the underarm hair, and you didn't have it yet. (laughs) Remember that guy? And he, like, walked into the room, and he owned the room. She walked in. They had poise, right? They, They had gotten past that stage, and all of a sudden, they weren't, or at least what it appeared to you like in your mind, they weren't wrestling with the same stuff you were wrestling with. They had a poise about them. They had a a security about them. You remember that? And it still exists in our life. It exists in the boardroom, in the bank, in the classroom. It exists in every area of our life. There are those people who just seem to walk into those places and spaces, and for whatever reason, they are secure in their identity. They're not having to work for it. Hello? Hello? I believe part of what Paul is teaching us in the book of Romans is exactly that. Hey, friend, you don't have to work for it. This has already been determined about you. God already sees you. He sees you past the awkward stage. He sees you past the blemishes. He sees you past the hormonal changes. He he sees you past this season and he sees you past this crisis and he sees you past this moment. And there's some things that he's determined about you that are more true than the moment that you're living in. That's what it means to be justified. What it means is that your status has already been determined and it's not determined by your moment. God has said some things about you. And if you can get it, if you can embrace it, it's going to create a poise about you, a presence about you, an understanding about you that will cause you to be able to walk into any room, in any circumstance, in any situation, and just know who you are. Whether Delta counsels your status or not, you're still going to walk through the airport with that roller carry-on saying, I own this place. Whether anybody acknowledges or not, no matter what your title is, no matter what your circumstance or your situation is, internally, you already know who you are. When we read these words, justification, these are great, huge theological words, and I just I want us to dive in to understanding it a little bit. Justification means to be acquitted of wrongdoing and declared right. It is a, it is a legal term. It means to be acquitted of wrongdoing and declared right or declared in right standing. Um, Paul painstakingly in the book of Romans is building this case because see what has happened is, how many of you went and watched the Bible Project videos on the book of Romans this week? Okay, I'm telling you, the rest of you are missing out. You would be like you would be so much more excited in this sermon right now had you watched those because you would have an understanding. I'm telling you, go watch those videos when you study your Bible what Paul is doing in the book of Romans is he's writing this letter to a church that is dealing with some cultural issues you have these jewish people who have been in the church and then you have these gentile people who are in the church and in this relationship they're trying to figure out who's more saved the jewish people or the gentile people who's more like jesus the jewish people who follow the law and we we know the law's created a mess or the, the gentile people who've lived like heathen and don't have to obey the law and and so Paul painstakingly is taking them through this process of understanding that it doesn't matter if you're Jew or Gentile what matters is what Jesus has done and what Jesus has done is he has completed a perfect work that says you are not guilty now Paul has already built the case up until this point in Rome uh, in the book of Romans that everybody's guilty you're guilty if you're a Jewish person you've kept the law perfectly guess what you're guilty If you're a Gentile person and and you have followed Jesus and now you're just just loving him, guess what? You're guilty. We're all guilty. But in spite of our guiltiness, Paul says, through Jesus' perfect work, we have been declared not guilty. And we have been made right with God. Now, there are implications to being not guilty. There are implications to your life and my life to being set right with God to having it settled in your heart, that, that in, in irregardless of your behavior, your choices, your decisions, Jesus has worked the work of righteousness in you, and that means something. It doesn't just mean something about your future. It means something about your present. And here's what I think the Holy Spirit is saying to us. There are many of us in this room who have accepted the work of justification in our life for the future, but we're not willing to live like it in the present. Many of us believe God for our ultimate salvation, but we live every day in condemnation. We believe Jesus for one day, but today but today we live like slaves, to use Paul's language. We live like people who are condemned. We live like people who are broken, like people who still have to make their own way in the world, like people who still have to earn God's approval, who have to earn God's blessing, who have to earn God's love. Paul says that's the opposite of what is true. What is true is that it is settled. And because it is settled, It should be applied to every part of your life. Now, Paul, in Romans, uses an illustration to explain to us the implications of being justified, to being chosen by God. Romans chapter 4, verses 1 through 5 says this, What then, shall we say, was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified... Remember, we've been justified through Christ. If Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about. But not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are counted as a gift, but as his due. If is about works, then it's about being paid. He says, it's not about works. It's a gift. And to the one who does not work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Many of us, many of us are insecure in our spirituality because we still believe we have to earn our way with God. Many of us are insecure because we are insecure in our relationship with God. Because we are insecure in our spirituality, it bleeds over into every other area of our life. Because as a 12, 13-year-old, I'm insecure in in my body because my body's going through this change. Now, all of a sudden, it starts to spill over and create anxiousness and create anger and create emotions and create all these things in my other relationships. Now, because I'm insecure with what is happening in me, I start to treat my siblings and I start to treat my parents and I start to treat my teachers like a jerk. I either behave toward them obnoxiously or I behave towards them and withdraw from them. Are you with me? We all lived it. We know it, right? Here's what I'm saying. Because many of us are insecure in our spirituality, it spills over into the other areas of our life. We either become hypercritical or hyper-withdrawn. We become overly anxious because we aren't settled in God. Paul was writing to the church at Rome and he was saying, listen, if you can, if you can get settled In your walk with God. This is going to spill over into the other areas of your life. He said let me give you an example. Here's the perfect example. You can all agree on this example. Abraham. Abraham is the example. Here's what we know about Abraham. Abraham believed God. And it was credited to him as righteousness. Abraham's the father of Of many nations, right? He is the one that's blessed. Jews and Gentiles alike, Paul is established in the book of Romans, can claim that Abraham is their father. Here's what we know about Abraham is Abraham got to where he was not because of what he did. Abraham got to where he was in spite of what he did. It's mind-blowing to me. I know you love your Bibles, and because you love your Bibles... You understand that when we read things like Romans chapter four, and it it behaves as if Abraham was this just this incredible man of faith that did anything wrong. There's a point to the story. You know the story of Abraham, right? Abraham. The Bible says Abraham was a man of faith, and it was credited to him as righteousness. This is the same Abraham that all of a sudden. After a long time of, his, of, of God not fulfilling the promise that I'm not getting his son, this is the Abraham who said, okay, all right, I, I, I'll, sleep with, I'll sleep with my wife's handmaid, and, and I'll have a baby, and I'll short-circuit God's plan. Slept with Hagar and, and had, a, had a slave son. You remember that story? Romans, Romans 4 acts like this dude just believed God, and everything was perfect. Why is that? Why does Romans chapter 4 act like Abraham did everything perfect? Everyone who was reading Romans chapter 4 knew that Abraham didn't do everything perfect. But Romans chapter 4 presupposes the end of the story. It presupposes the fact that Abraham stayed in the process of faith, even though the process of faith got messy along the way, he stayed in the process of faith, and because he believed God, it was credited to him as righteousness. Does, did his believing God mean that he didn't have, ever have moments when he doubted God? Apparently not. That should be of great comfort to people like me and you. The telescopic lens of scripture should bring great comfort to people like me and you. The fact that Romans chapter 4 can say, Abraham believed God, he had faith... And it was credited to him as righteousness, even though we know the story of Abraham. We know the story when this great man of faith was so scared that he told this foreign king, Oh no, she's not my wife, Uh, that's just my sister. And married his wife off to somebody else because he was that big of a chicken. And Romans chapter 4 acts like he's a superhero. Why does Romans chapter 4 act like he's a superhero? Because his superhero status had nothing to do with his character failures. It had everything to do with Jesus. Romans chapter 4 can say, hey, look at this guy. Look at this! Look at what God did. We're all here today as children of Abraham, not because Abraham was perfect, but because Abraham believed God. Here's the thing: Romans chapter four, like, introduces this incredible mystery about faith and about believing God. It said Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. So we get to Romans five. Romans five says we are we are justified. It uses the word therefore. Anytime you see therefore in the Bible, it means what I'm about to say is based on what I just said. So if you do that, you know, open your Bible, pray and point, and I'm going to read this, and it starts with therefore. You got to go back and read what is said before because to understand what I'm about to say, you got to know what I just said, and what I just said was that Abraham. Believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness because it was credited to him as righteousness Therefore we have justification. So what does that mean? That means that Justification at work in my life is somehow connected to faith And what does faith mean faith means? It means that Abraham believed God and he kept acting on that belief in spite of his circumstances in spite of his failure in spite of his doubt he kept acting he kept acting on that belief that god was god and god was good and god was faithful there was an assurance that lived inside of him biblical faith is a state of assurance that reframes my view of the world according to my preferred status this is what biblical faith is Biblical faith is a state of assurance that reframes my view of the world according to my preferred status. Everything with Abraham goes back to the fact that Abraham had a promise from God. And Abraham lived his life making mistakes. Abraham lived his life with delay. He lived his life with disappointment. He lived his life when he When he experienced circumstances and situations that he couldn't explain And in spite of all of that What Romans 4 says is that he just kept hanging on To the inevitability of the covenant God that he had relationship with There's something inevitable about the promises of God Man, that's so good There's something inevitable about being in relationship with a covenant keeping God. This is what Abraham' experience was. He had doubt. He had fear. He lost status. There were times he messed up. But in spite of it, he just kept moving toward the covenant-keeping God. He kept moving toward the promise that the covenant-keeping God gave him. He just kept moving toward it. And the Bible says that was faith at work in his life. Because he believed, he kept moving toward God. Pastor, what does this have to do with insecurity? Here's... Here's what it has to do with insecurity is when, when I'm insecure, when I don't believe in God, I don't keep moving towards his promises. When I don't believe in God, I don't keep moving. When a circumstance comes that confuses me, I turn and go the other way. When a circumstance comes that I don't understand, I start making up my own plans and I have a baby with Hagar. Hello? The Bible doesn't say that Abraham and the seed of Abraham and in in fact all of us aren't dealing with some of the ramifications of Abraham's doubt. It doesn't say that. It says that we are blessed because of Abraham's faith. But guess what? We We still have to deal with the ramifications of his doubt. And many of us, we come to places of doubt... We come to places of doubt, we take things into our own hands, we become hypercritical or we become scared and we run into a corner and we start acting out of that insecurity and then this is what happens. We start to we start to deal with the ramifications of our doubt. Nothing has changed about God. Nothing has changed about his promise, but now all of a sudden I'm reaping in the field that I sowed that God never told me to sow into and that reaping from the field that I sowed into starts to reinforce my doubt it starts to reinforce my insecurity I walk into the room I'm the gangly teenager and this group over here laughs at something that has nothing to do with me and yet they laughed right when I walked into the room and it reinforces in my mind It reinforces in my mind because my mind has confirmation bias. It reinforces in my mind that people don't like me or they don't love me or this is wrong with me. And now all of a sudden that narrative that I've created in my head is burned into my neural pathways. And I start to go down that road and I start to believe those things even more. See, I told you they didn't like me. See, I told you I looked funny today. See, I told you this didn't fit me well. See, I told you this was going to happen. All of a sudden, I'm believing these lies more and more and more. And all the while, God still says, hey, I chose you. I got you. Biblical faith is a state of assurance that reframes my view of the world according to my preferred status. It's something very, very different to come into a room and to be able to say, you know what? I know who I am. Oh, there are people laughing in the corner. Let me go there and see what's so funny. I know they're not laughing at me. Oh, she turned and left when she left the room. I, I sp- can't be because she doesn't like me. Some of us, I just gotta say this. Some of us are tortured by our insecurity. And, and we take Every time that something happens that reinforces the narrative of our insecurity, we, we, we just grab hold of that and we make it our story in spite of the 99 times when things happen that don't reinforce your insecurity. We forget about those times. Listen, Abraham somehow or another just kept moving by faith towards what God had promised. There was an assurance that rested in him. When Paul talks about the work of justification in Romans chapter 5, and he says that we have been justified in Christ, what he's saying is there is an assurance that has settled in on you because of what Jesus has done in you and through you that has nothing to do with you. It's, It's beyond your moment. There's a perspective attached to it. God looked at Abraham, get this, God looked at Abraham and knew that he was going to be a chicken that would marry his wife off. God looked at Abraham and knew, and knew that he was going to take a slave woman as someone to sleep with to try to offset his, he knew all of that and still chose him. Don't you get the perspective of scripture? God knew all of this stuff about Abraham and still chose him and still said he is an example of what it means to put faith in action. When he looks at you and he looks at me, it's not that our failures and our sins and our mistakes are hidden from him, no. He looks at us and in spite of those things, he believes in his own power to work in you, what you're incapable of doing enough that he says, I choose you anyways. The question is not whether or not he believes in it, the question is whether or not you and I believe in it. And here's what, Romans chapter 4 teaches us, Romans chapter 4 teaches us that when you and I begin to align with what God has said about us, it starts to instruct our behavior, it starts to instruct our choices, it starts to instruct our decisions. Even when we've messed it up, even when we've made mistakes, there's a capacity to recover from my own failure and continue to move toward God that comes through an active faith. That says the causality of God's work in me is so great that even in my failure, it doesn't change what he said. It's still true. The practical implications of surrender to Christ, Romans 5 teaches us, is this. The practical implications of surrender is the eradication of shame. The eradication of shame producing and reproducing patterns. The eradication of shame producing and reproducing patterns in my life. How do you know that, Pastor? Well, read, go back and read Romans chapter 5, that, that first discourse there. We can't get away from the powerful theological point that Paul is making, which is this: look, in the work of Christ, through the work of Christ, because it's so complete, it changes your position. You're no longer, you're no longer held. You can't be tried and convicted and sentenced based on your sin. Instead, your status has changed. And because your status has changed, stuff starts to look differently and work differently in your life. All of a sudden now, you have peace. We can't get away from the point Paul is making. The greatest peace is peace with God. But there is a peace that flows out of peace with God. Let me say it this way. I I believe, I could be wrong. I believe if you don't have peace in other areas of your life, it might just be worth having a conversation with God. It might just be worth asking the Holy Spirit, is it possible that there's so much conflict in my life around me all the time, because there's conflict between me and you, God? Is it possible that I believe some things about you or I believe you believe some things about me and it is, it is shading my relationships? Is it possible that if I don't have peace with my fellow man, it's because I don't have peace with God? For not only we know it's possible, Scripture teaches us that. Paul says, listen, when, when you are justified, when it's signed, sealed and delivered your identity in Christ, you have peace. And out of that peace, there's some stuff that starts to happen. Here's what happens. You're able to endure hard stuff. You're able to go through pain and suffering and challenge And you just keep on going. You just keep on moving. You've got a strength, a capacity, a resourcefulness. There's something inside of you that gives you the capacity to move through this stuff because it's settled inside of you. Your identity is secured. It's not shaken. You don't have to strive for attention. You don't have to strive for affirmation. You don't have to strive for peace. Peace just exists. Nothing can steal it from you. Nothing can shake it and you're not looking anywhere else to try to earn it. Paul says you have this peace, and out of this peace comes this, this innate ability to live to live secure. And he uses the term grace. Did you notice that when we read chapter 5? You're, you're able to move through life with grace. Here's what I know about insecurity. Is insecurity really is you think about it, an absence of grace. You don't have grace for yourself. You don't have grace for others. And yet, somehow or another, Paul ties this great theological truth of it being settled in Christ that I'm justified to this overwhelming sense of grace. I've got grace for myself. I've got grace for others. Because I know that God has grace for me. Here's what I have found. When I am dealing with not having grace with others, what I often know is that I don't really believe that God has grace for me. Are you with me? But Paul says when, when justification is settled in you, there's this overwhelming sense of grace at work in your life. The, the guy walks into the room and he can believe the best about the room because he believes the room believes the best about him. grace there's peace there's resilience all of this paul says you know what it looks like it looks like hope that's what it looks like people who maintain hope remember i did a series earlier last year on hope we talked about this when hope is that work in you it changes everything person who is insecure when they walk into a room hope is hope is gone because hope in the room is either based on themselves or it's based on others it's based on perfection it's based on what i can control and it's disrupted by what i cannot control But people who've surrendered control because they understand that god is the source of all control they don't struggle with hope Regardless of their circumstances, Second Corinthians chapter five verses seventeen through nineteen says this: Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away; behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to Himself, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to Himself not counting their trespasses against them, what we learned in Romans chapter five, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Pastor, I know all about this stuff. I know about justification. I know about what Jesus did for me. Praise the Lord. Really? Really? What Paul continually teaches us is if we know about this stuff, then it's being reproduced in our life. If I'm not insecure then guess what? I don't act towards others in a way that produces or reproduces insecurity in them. I'm not going to be hypercritical toward them. I'm not going to say and do things that evoke or produce shame in them. It's not my objective or my goal to receive from them what I need to feel better about myself. Instead, there's grace and there's peace and there's calling them into strength and longevity and whatever their situation is, there is this sense in in me that because I have been reconciled to the Father, because I've been justified, I will attribute or see in others that same justification. I will attribute or see in others the beauty and the good, that which has been settled. I will see the best in you because God has seen the best in me. I will be a worker of reconciliation because I have been reconciled.